The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3. In the aftermath of our meeting that was so blessed yesterday, I almost want to have 15 minutes of comments on each message. Uh, I just have so many thoughts that have stirred in my mind. And I loved what Bobby Pruitt said yesterday after the conclusion of service. He said, I don't know if I've ever been in a meeting where the, the messages just keep getting better and better and better. And then, and then, you know, I'm thankful for all of them, but it seems like the Spirit really blessed with Tim. You know, most people are just being realistic. Sometimes you get a little bit dozy in that second sermon in the afternoon service. And the Lord blessed Brother Tim with a great spirit in that. And I don't think anyone was falling asleep. Uh, I think that may have been the blessed message, most blessed message of the whole day. And kind of in conjunction and maybe somewhat of continuation with some of the thoughts that he introduced from Revelation chapter 3 and the church at Laodicea and the comfort and the ease with which they were living life that allowed them to forget Jesus. He made some comments in that message about if we are truly following Jesus, we will suffer to some degree here in this world. And that doesn't mean that we're going to encounter the kind of persecution and suffering that the early church did where they were being martyred. And I certainly hope God continues to give us a providential hedge and providential protection, particularly in America, to uphold our First Amendment rights to where we're protected from that. I pray God continues to do that. But there's going to be some degree of suffering that we will have in this world. But as he said in that message, it's in that suffering that we have the closest communion and fellowship with Jesus. Because he said, if you open the door to me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And you will find that the life of the early church, we are the primitive Baptist church. And I hope you know primitive means original. It's what you need to tell people when people get all worked up <laughs> about we don't have electricity and all these, these ridiculous ideas that people have when they just out of ignorance. And I'm not being mean. They, ignorance is a lack of knowledge. They hear the word primitive. And they automatically reach conclusions, and you need to tell them that primitive means original. So we are the original Baptist church, and we want to uphold uh, the tenets of the original Baptist church. But what we find is that the life of the original church was not easy. The life of the original church was characterized by suffering. And you know what? If we are going to be a disciple of Christ, did Jesus have ease and comfort in his life, he had the exact opposite of that, right? He had the exact opposite of that. So if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, why would we think if we're going to truly commune with Jesus that we would commune with him in comfort and ease? God's people have never, from, from Genesis to Revelation, God's people have never been able to handle prosperity. I mean, read the Old Testament. Any time that God gave them a, a providential protection from their enemies and gave them a reprieve and a good godly leader, it was always usually good until that leader died, but they got comfortable in prosperity and then they started to drift. They started to uh, not seek the Lord as fervently as they need to and the Lord had to send judgment. He had to send oppression, and then they had to repent, and then they started the cycle all over again, you know? Uh, Brother Obey Indolima from Tanzania, who God in his providence allowed to walk into Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. That was the opening of the door of the gospel to Tanzania and to Africa, and he understood 
how they live over there in Africa, and God's doing a mighty work in Africa right now. But the life that they live is entirely different than the life that we live. And then he had those two different uh, cultures and societies and perspectives. And his comment with Sam Bryant, when God was opening that door and he was understanding the church in America and then comparing it to the church there in, in Tanzania, his, his comment has been so profound that the church in America is persecuted by prosperity. Persecuted by prosperity. Why? Because God's people can never handle it when things get easy. Why? Because we don't have to walk by faith. I mean, I'm so thankful that I pray, we we're supposed to pray in the, in the model prayer, give us this day our daily bread, but I'm not personally concerned and not able to sleep at night about where my next meal is going to come from. And I'm thankful for that. Praise God for that. However, it's an entirely different walk of faith that you have on a daily basis when at the beginning of the day you say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and there's nothing in the cupboard, Right? You're forced to walk by faith. Why? Because you don't have any other option. <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything to provide for my family. So when I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I mean it. Because I don't know where it's coming from. And then to see God providentially provide, I'm sure is a great blessing to those people that are, that are in, that, uh, in that circumstance. So um, if we're going to be aligned with the original primitive church... Things are not going to be easy, okay? And that, that can make us a little nervous. I mean, that gives us a little bit, bit of heartburn, right? But what I want us to focus on this morning is the closest fellowship that we can have with Jesus is in the midst of suffering, okay? And Philippians chapter 3, just to get the context, we're going to read quite a few verses, but we're building up to verse 10 where it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And this is the phrase and the fellowship of his sufferings, okay? The fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he whereof might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church touching the righteousness which is of the law blameless but what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ yea doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, we find in John chapter 17 and in verse 3 that life eternal, and I, I believe the phrasing there is significant, not just simply eternal life, we have eternal life by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by grace alone and he finished the work of salvation on the cross and the life that we live the life eternal that we can lay hold on here in the kingdom of God sometimes when we talk about the temporal blessings that we can partake of here in time sometimes we want to put a barrier between those and say they're different well they're they're distinct but they're not really different one is just an extension of the other. One is just a special aspect of the eternal life that we've been given in Jesus Christ, and we get to live a little bit of that abundant life here in time. 
So don't, don't ever put a barrier between those two things in your mind because they're not distinct and separate. One is just an extension of the blessings that we have already been given in heaven. We can partake of them in the kingdom of heaven, right? So we have eternal life solely by the blood of Jesus Christ. But he uses this language in John chapter 17 and verse 3, and this is life eternal, okay? He uses language in 1 Timothy to lay hold on eternal life. Well, if you'll let me use this language, laying hold on eternal life is life eternal. Now, what's it characterized by? And certainly this is the fullness of uh, eternal life as well. I mean, sometimes we get in, uh, get this idea of heaven and, uh, yes, it's going to be great that there's going to be no tears there and we're going to be in glorified bodies. When it, uh, not, not now if we pass away. It's just our souls there for now. But, but at a later date, we're going to be in glorified bodies and... and um, and there's going to be some amazing things happening in heaven, but the reason why heaven is heaven is because at that moment, we will know as we are known. The reason why heaven is heaven is because we are finally going to know God perfectly. You know, it's not just a vision in Revelation where you have all these amazing things that are happening. It's so sad that uh, many many Christians are, and I, I know they don't mean it the way they say it probably, but they're so carnal that they want to make heaven what they enjoy here in this world. That that heaven is going to be some golf course or heaven is going to be uh, some really great uh, fishing hot spot. I mean, whatever they enjoy here in this world, that's what heaven's going to be. The fullness of heaven is knowing Jesus. The fullness of heaven is knowing God. And, and now in heaven, we're finally going to have every single barrier of that removed. I mean, we can know God now. We can, we can experience life eternal now and know Jesus as closely as, and intimately as possible, but there's always going to be restrictions. There's always going to be barriers. But in heaven, those barriers are finally removed, and we're going to know as we are known. That's what heaven is. Heaven is knowing God perfectly, knowing God's heart. I mean, we have a little bit of a glimpse into God's heart right now, but we will know the fullness of God's heart and his love toward us in heaven, okay? So, you know, I, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that we have a hope to see our loved ones and to fellowship with them in perfection, but don't view heaven as, man, I can't uh, solely, as I can't wait to see my loved ones that are gone. <sighs> That's going to be great too, Okay? Because you're going to have perfect fellowship with them. But don't view heaven as a big family reunion. It's going to be that. It's going to be that. But heaven is going to be about knowing God perfectly. So therefore, the way that we experience the kingdom of heaven now is by knowing God here. Right? This is life eternal. That they may know thee. That they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says, look, look at all these things that I've given up for the kingdom. You know, he lived, Paul lived a very comfortable life prior to the Lord striking him down on the road to Damascus. You know, um, he uses this language, I think it's in Romans chapter 7. <laughs> I was thinking about this during the message yesterday, actually. Um, he said, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, I had a pretty good little life going. Or at least I thought that I did. I, I thought I had a really, and, and in a natural sense, he had a pretty good life going. Why? Because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was on the fast track to be running the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was going to be the Speaker of the House. Uh, he was going to be the most powerful political person within a few years, most likely, in all of, of Jerusalem. And he had a lot... He, there's wealth associated with that. He had a life of comfort. He had a life of power and influence. And he had a lot of monetary blessings associated with that. And he said, I gave all that up. I, I used to think I was alive. <laughs> but then when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, I realized I was dead all along. 
when I was, as Brother Josh said yesterday, when Solomon, who was uh, living the vanity of this world in the fullness, and, and, and Solomon was able to do it on an unlimited budget. You know, people want to indulge the things of this world and think that that's going to satisfy them. Nobody ever did it better than Solomon. Because you can do it, but your budget's going to run out. Just like the rich young ruler. Eventually, hit, uh, not, not the rich young ruler, the prodigal son. The prodigal son. He started out with a lot of money, but his budget ran out. <laughs> Solomon had an unlimited budget. And he was miserable. He was miserable. Okay? So, so, uh, so Paul, when that commandment came, and that commandment was the voice of the Son of God that said to his soul, live on the road to Damascus. Okay? When he was born again, he said, I used to think I was alive, but I realized I was dead that whole time. But now I know what real life is. Okay? So he said, look, I gave up all those things, a life of comfort and ease with a nice house and a nice title and a nice job. And I gave all that up for, verse 7, what things were gained to me. I used to put a lot of value on those. I count them as lost for Christ now. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the... This is what he was willing to give it up for. Okay? Power, influence, money, wealth. He was willing to give all that up for what? I count all these things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. You're telling me. I mean, you want to talk about, as we heard yesterday, you want to talk about the gospel being foolishness to people who were not saved, who were not born again. You're telling me you gave up all that for a carpenter from Nazareth who's dead. Well, yes, he's dead, but he's resurrected. <laughs> Amen. But you're telling me you gave up all of that for the knowledge of a carpenter from Nazareth. And, and then after he got done here in this world, I mean, there's some people that have uh, been false teachers and false prophets, and that when they die, they had, they've converted like millions of people. And they leave with millions of dollars in the bank. What did Jesus leave with? Not a penny to his name and a, only 120 folks. <laughs> and you're telling me you're willing to give up all that for some carpenter from Nazareth. And he said, you better believe it. <laughs> right? Why? Because that's life eternal. Because it's fellowship with Jesus. Continuing on to verse 10. That I may know him, that I may know Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's go to, um, <clears throat> let's go to 2 Corinthians 4 to just highlight, again, in Paul's personal experience, what he gave up, that, that he gave up this life of, of comfort and ease and wealth. And God was moving in Paul in just a miraculous way. But everywhere he went, Jews, his own kindred, were literally trying to kill him. Everywhere he went. Um, I can't remember which place it was. It may have been Lystra where they stoned him. And the only reason they stopped because they thought he was dead. They thought we, they finally stamped him out. But you know what? We're going to, hopefully, Lord willing, close with Stephen. And you want to talk about the beautiful, perfect example of having the most intimate, close fellowship with Jesus in suffering. It was probably only a couple minutes when Stephen was being stoned and he, able, he was able to look up and see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God the Father. But you know what? I guarantee you, of course, Stephen, he had the privilege of going straight to heaven after that. But if you asked him, he would say that suffering of being stoned to death was worth that two-minute spiritual experience of seeing Jesus on the right hand, welcoming me into heaven, okay? And that's the type of magnification of fellowship that you can have with Jesus. I mean, you can have fellowship with Jesus 
uh, on a day in day out basis and you need to you need to pray you need to read God's word and spend time with him in prayer and you can feel Jesus in the midst of that and praise God you can but you can feel Jesus in a much stronger way in the midst of sufferings you see you have fellowship with Jesus I mean when brother David died that was the most gut-wrenching week that I've ever either experienced or went through. But I saw God so strongly in that week, you see? Because there was such an intimate fellowship with Jesus. When you, the, the, the more you intensify the suffering, the more you intensify the fellowship. That's the point I'm trying to get across to you. And if we're not suffering then we're not experiencing the fullness of fellowship with Jesus that we can have. I want you to see it as a one-to-one -one relationship. The more we suffer, the more we have fellowship. And, well, 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 when we suffer for righteousness sake, right? <laughs> I mean, we can suffer by making bad decisions, right? The scriptures teaches that. Life teaches that. Um, all that live godly. This is, let's just go ahead and turn there, by the way. Um, well, keep your finger on 2 Timothy 4. I haven't got around to it yet. But um, <clears throat> let's go to um, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 11. And this is just the baseline principle that we all need to understand. I mean, just like John chapter 16 and verse 33. He said, I write these things unto you that in me you may have peace. In this world you shall have tribulation. We just got to understand that. That is the baseline default here in this world. In this world you shall have tribulation. But don't get concerned about it. Don't get worked up. Be of good cheer, right? Why? Because I've overcome the world, right? John chapter 16, verse 33. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but don't get concerned, out of the Lord, out of them, all the Lord delivered me. You know, they're, they're difficult, they're heavy in the moment, but God blessed me in the midst of them. Now, also don't lose sight of the fact, you know, he was persecuted. Uh, what, what did he say, three times that I was beaten 39 times? Uh, yes, God delivered you out of them, but guess what? He still had the scars on his back. I mean, he delivered you out of it, but don't you know he just had physical pains and aches from being stoned to the point of physically about to die? Now, he had a lot of physical pain because of what he endured. You know, so when I say the Lord I delivered, uh, the Lord delivered me out of them all, that doesn't mean that he's going to prevent the pain in the midst of it, and he's also not necessarily going to prevent all the physical ramifications of being whipped. And just the, I can just only imagine the type of back problems or neck problems that Paul must have had from being beaten and being stoned in the manner that he did, right? So it doesn't mean that God's going to remove every side effect of the suffering. But in his mind, the Lord still gave me providential blessings to deliver them out of, out of them all. Verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is just a baseline principle that, like I said, God's people just can't handle prosperity. And God was so gracious to us in America to give us this providential hedge and First Amendment protections that the church has never had before. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, at least from my perspective, we have not primarily, there's been some benefit, but we have not primarily used that freedom to advance the kingdom. We've used it to get lazy. Okay? So, therefore, just like with anything, the Lord gives it to us. We don't use it right. What does the Lord typically do? You reap what you sow. I'm going to remove what you did not use to my honor and to my glory. And I pray, I, I, just personally, I don't feel like that there will ever be a Supreme Court decision that's ever going to say that we're overturning the First Amendment. 
I don't think that that would fly. But it doesn't matter what's written on the Bill of Rights if the First Amendment protections are not protected when they're abused. So what I mean by that is I don't think that anyone will ever vote to remove the First Amendment, but it can be written on a piece of paper and not mean anything. And I wouldn't be surprised because, again, we have not used it properly. The church has not used the First Amendment freedoms that we have to advance the kingdom. Okay? So, therefore, the Lord is gracious. Give us a space of repentance and hope we can use it right. But if we don't, he is right to say, all right, I gave you this providential blessing. Now we're getting back to the default. And the default. I mean, we're just so sheltered in America, we don't really understand the default. The default for Christians of the original Baptist church is governmental persecution. That is the default. And we had this two, 200 year providential protection. And I just believe, especially before the Lord's second coming, that there, things are going to get waxed worse and worse. And I think Things are only going to get worse. They're not going to get better, okay? And I'm not trying to scare anybody. We just need to buckle up. We're, what I'm saying is we're regressing back to the mean. Well, God gave us a providential blessing. We didn't use it right. And now he said, all right, we're just going to get back to the way things have always been, which is governmental persecution of Christians. And you need to study church history. You need to know. You need every, every old Baptist needs to own Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you need to read it. You need to understand the kind of suffering that God's people endured for the kingdom. But as you read those stories about people that were being boiled, that were being lit aflame, that were being crucified, that were being, being killed and martyred, I guarantee you, if you ask them in heaven, I bet that they probably had the same type of spiritual experience that Stephen had when he was being stoned. But you need to understand the kind of suffering that is the default here in this world. And God's given us a reprieve from that, and I believe he's removing that reprieve. So we need to understand, we're going to get back. <laughs> we want to brag about being the original church. We're going to get back, I believe, before the Lord comes back to being the original church by way of persecution. Okay? Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, it's great to memorize verses about salvation by grace, <laughs> but you need to know this verse too. All that live godly. Like I said, we can suffer persecution for making bad decisions. But if you live godly, there will be some degree of persecution. And I pray that God, at least for a period of time, will continue to bless us to be protected from the government. However, there is some degree of suffering or persecution that you will have when you choose to live godly in Christ Jesus. And it may be as simple, and I say simple just because um, I'm 32 now and I have a little bit more perspective, but, but uh, people talking bad about you and snickering and you not being invited to things and you being uh, one step off and somewhat of an outcast in, in the teenage clique, that's a really big deal to a 13 or a 14 year old. And, you know, and I have a little bit more perspective now to know that's not the end of the world, but, but I can't tell them that yet because they don't have that perspective yet. But to them, to them, that is some severe suffering and persecution, okay? And if you choose to say, I'm not gonna go to those parties where they're doing drugs and, and getting drunk and people are committing sexual sin and they are doing all of these things of the world and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not going to do that. There will be some degree of suffering and persecution that you will have. And you know what? That's okay because you're going to have more fellowship with Jesus in denying that 
It doesn't matter what people snicker and say about you when you choose to live godly and to turn down all those things that everybody else is doing. Which, by the way, another verse you need to know is that woe unto them when all men speak well of you. <laughs> if, if you don't have some conflict with someone from living godly in this world, we really need to look in the mirror pretty close because we might be a little bit too friendly with the world. Okay? If you don't have some degree, and I'm not talking about we're being mean to folks, right? We're not being rude to people. But when you choose to live godly, you're going to have friction with people that don't choose to live godly. Okay? So there is always some degree of suffering and persecution that you will have from living godly, whether it just be in interpersonal interactions and you being talked about behind your back or maybe you being stabbed in your back. Guess what? If, if that happens, you're in good company because Jesus was betrayed by his friend. David was betrayed by Ahithophel, which was the prophecy and the, the prefiguring, so to say, of Jesus being crucified by Judas. Okay? Um, so Paul... 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul gave up all of this this life of comfort for what? <laughs> and he says it's all worth it. <laughs> he says it's all worth it for the knowledge of Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, we are troubled on every side, but yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. So he gave up a life of comfort and ease to now his life is characterized by trouble, perplexing, being perplexed, being persecuted, and being cast down. But he said it's okay because in verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this connection here at the end of this verse that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body so he says Jesus suffered to the point of losing his life he gave it up those Roman soldiers they didn't kill him they got him to the point of physical death and then he gave up the ghost but when you physically suffer to the point of giving up your own life for the kingdom he says, that is when the life also of Jesus is now manifest in my body. See that? And that's, what he's, that's the kind of language that he uses that if you try to gain your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, that's who's going to find it. You see? The more I put myself to death, that's getting me out of the way to where now the life of Jesus can be manifested in my body. You see? Um, okay, let's focus on Jesus for a minute. Let's focus on Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Christ. And think about the kind of life that he lived here in this world. I mean, I, I, I hope I don't go off on a tangent uh, about the prosperity gospel and, and to say that if you follow Jesus and you give somebody X amount of money, you're going to get X amount of money back and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and you're going to get promotions. I, I don't use this, this term very much. But that is a false prophet. Okay? Because if, you are, if you're wanting to be a disciple of Jesus and you're doing all that to get that kind of prosperity, guess what? If you get it, you're not a disciple of Jesus anymore. Because he didn't have any of that. You understand that? He didn't understand any of that or have any of that. Instead, he was, Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he was despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as were our faces from him, and we despised him, and we esteemed him not. His life was characterized by sorrow and suffering, Right? You know, you, you think that you're going to do this and God's going to give you some nice house or mansion. You're a disciple of Jesus. And what did he say? The fox have holes, the birds of the air have nests. But I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Jesus didn't have a mansion in, in this world. 
So you think that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you think he's going to give you mansions? No, he didn't have anywhere to stay. He was a nomad here in this world. Jesus didn't have enough money to his name to pay his taxes. And this amazing miracle, he says, look, you go out and you throw a line in the water and you're going to catch a fish and it's going to have just as much money, not only pay my taxes, but pay all, ta all your taxes too. He had to go catch a fish to pay his taxes. <laughs> you see, Jesus did not, and then, by the way, the money they did have, Judas was stealing it. <laughs> right? They were walking around uh, with, with people that, that probably said, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. I want to give a little bit of money to you. And then the, the little bit of money they did have, Judas was stealing it. So look, look at the life of Jesus. No money to his name. No house, a man of sorrows, and this world put him to death. This world put him to death. Which, by the way, he was tipped in all points as we are. Thinking about Stephen, that's why God is able to give dying grace to his children. Because he knows what it's like as the son of man to suffer to the point of death. And you know what? We talk about dying grace. We pray for dying grace when people get to the point of hospice or they get to the point of, of physically not being able to live based on the prognosis. We pray for dying grace. Well, you know what? Jesus knows what that suffering is like as the Son of Man. And what does God do? I think Jesus has special fellowship. You know, so many people, um, when they get to that point, before they pass, they're not, they're not conscious. They get, nowadays, they get medicated a little bit just to slow everything down and to allow them, them to pass. And many of them are not conscious, but maybe you've been at the bedside of a loved one and they're not conscious, but then when you talk to them, you can see they hear you. So they're not, they're not just there. No, they're, they're cognizant. They can hear you. And, and even though to us they appear to be unconscious, I just believe that in that moment, Jesus is having fellowship with their soul. Jesus is giving them that dying grace. And you know what? They're suffering right before their natural death may be the most intense. They may not, be may not be conscious because of medication, but their suffering may be the worst they've ever experienced in their life. And like I said, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. The more we suffer, the greater fellowship we have with Jesus. And I, I believe that those, those children of God, that even if they're not conscious, I believe they're having fellowship with Jesus in their soul. Why? Because they're suffering and Jesus is there to fellowship with them in their suffering, okay? That's what dying grace is. Is <laughs> Jesus fellowshipping with his children in the midst of that moment of suffering just before they pass from this world. Okay, so I want to highlight a couple verses that speak of giving up, giving up and then gaining for the kingdom. Um, let's go to Luke chapter 9. And I, th th this, uh, this phrase is, is in um, most of the Gospels. I'm not positive it's in all four. Um, sometimes John doesn't have the same language as some of the other ones. But, but it's, it's in multiple Gospels. But, but I usually try to read this out of Luke because it uses the word daily. So Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And this is the, the phrase that we referenced earlier, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know, that's what Jesus did, didn't he? You know, he voluntarily, now, now those those Roman soldiers, they, they, they crushed his physical body. He didn't break a bone, you know what I mean? 
but, but physically they crushed his body, but they didn't kill him. He gave up the ghost. So he voluntarily gave up his life. Do you understand that? Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. So what does he call his disciples to do? Well, if we're going to follow Jesus' pattern, we're called to voluntarily give up our life, right? And to take up our cross daily and follow me. You know, um, I heard someone recently make a very good point about the cross. When you're being crucified, you're not taking suffering on your, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not punishing yourself. You are simply yielding to allow others to inflict pain upon you. So it's not about I'm taking my cross on me and I'm uh, spiritually trying to hurt myself. No, you're simply yielding. You're simply submitting to God's will. You're simply submitting to others. And unfortunately, the natural disposition of this world, when you do yield and submit, is going to be suffering, right? That's just the natural disposition of this world. But we take up our cross, and, and a cross is just the most intense symbol of suffering, right? It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of death and suffering. But when you take up that cross and you take up that suffering, you receive special fellowship with Jesus in the midst of that suffering. You see? Let's go to Mark. Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> and this is right on the heels of the rich young ruler who is not willing to lose his life for the kingdom. He was not willing to give up riches. He was not willing to give up comfort. And this is a great example. I mean, he would have fit in perfectly at Laosia, right? <laughs> because he put all of his confidence in his riches... And he wasn't willing to give that up to have a greater fellowship with Jesus. And the rich young ruler is a child of God, particularly here in Mark's account. It clearly says in verse 21 that Jesus loved him. And I, I hope, I hope that the weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we don't know anything about him after he leaves, sorrowful, but I hope that the weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit led him to eventually either come back to Jesus either before or after his resurrection you know, and maybe even, you know, there are many people that, um, that didn't believe on Jesus when he was alive, but they finally got it when he was resurrected, you know. So maybe even if, uh, if the rich young ruler didn't, uh, didn't, didn't repent and follow Jesus in the manner that he ought to while Jesus was alive, hopefully when he heard the story of the resurrection, I hope that he, maybe he joined on the day of Pentecost. I mean, you never know. Uh, but I, I would hope, I would like to think that he didn't just live the rest of his life. I mean, think about, I guess I could also, and this is all conjecture, so just bear with me, but I, I almost would like to think that the rich young ruler was kind of like Nicodemus. You know, he went to him the first time, and he just, Jesus was just cut and dry with Nicodemus. And his first blush reaction is, man, I can't, I, mean, I can't give up the Sanhedrin. You know, I can't get, I mean, I'm a Pharisee, I can't do that. But then you have this, this another remark and kind of in the middle of John's gospel where Nicodemus, he's not fully sold out for the kingdom yet, but he's defending Jesus when everyone else is, is trying to, to plan to kill him. He's defending him. And then by the end of it, by his resurrection, uh, now, now Nicodemus is going getting the body of Jesus and he's, being, uh, he's, he's putting him and preparing his body to be, to, uh, to be uh, buried in, in, the, in the borrowed tomb. And again, this is all conjecture, and you take it for just that. But I almost kind of wonder if the rich young ruler might be kind of like Nicodemus, that maybe he just needed to have that process of, of getting it. <laughs> you know, Nicodemus wasn't, really, wasn't willing to drop everything at a, at a moment's notice, but eventually the power of the Holy Spirit got to him to such a degree that he was willing to give it up. Okay? But this rich young ruler was not willing to do that, at least at this moment, and, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he pierced himself through with many sorrows. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And if you don't give it up, if you try to live in covetousness, what are you doing? You're piercing yourself through with many sorrows. And by the way, what's it also preventing you from doing? Having a greater knowledge and a fellowship with Jesus, you see. So now that's in the aftermath of this. 
And then they knew, I mean, this man appeared to have, and Tristram appeared to have a very good reputation in the community. So then the disciples said, man, if this guy, and of course they, they were thinking more eternally than discipleship uh, blessings. But they said, man, if this guy is not willing to go into the kingdom, who then can be saved? <laughs> and then, of course, the answer, the beautiful answer from Jesus in verse 27, with men it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible, right? So it's in the aftermath. It's, that's what's important about this verse, though. It's in the aftermath of an example of someone who was hanging on too tightly to the things of the world, and he wasn't willing to give it up. Okay? So you have a negative example there. He was hanging on too tight to his riches, and he wasn't willing to give it up. So then Jesus says, and then Peter, <laughs> bless his heart, he's almost now saying, okay, he didn't do that, but we did. Lo, we left all and followed thee. And he stops there. It has a period right there. But I think the implied thought is, what are we going to get for it? <laughs> I think that's the implied rest of the question. <laughs> and then Jesus said, you know what? You are going to get some things for it. Verse 29. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So as you line these out, you'll notice that everything you give up, you get back, all except for a couple things. <laughs> I'll try to do this quickly. You get houses back, you get brethren back, you get sisters back, you don't get a father back. Why? Because you have greater fellowship with your heavenly father. You get a mother back, you don't get a wife back, because one man one woman for one lifetime, right? <laughs> but you do have a greater fellowship with the bride of Christ, okay? You get children back and lands. Now, we also need to understand that all these things we're receiving back, God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom, right? So obviously, obviously, <laughs> Jesus is not saying, if you give me the deed down at the courthouse to your house, then within a set period of time, you're going to have 100 more houses. That, clearly, that doesn't make a lick of sense, right? <laughs> He's clearly not saying that if you give me your physical house, I'm going to give you 100 more houses. If you give me your child, I'm going to give you 100 more kids. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense. But what he's saying here is that if you invest in the kingdom, and especially if you invest in the old Baptist church in the kingdom, within, I may not have a direct connection, but within about two or three phone calls, I think within just about any state in Mississippi, within about two or three phone calls, I can vouch for either my dad's name or somebody else's name that I'm, that I'm close friends with, and they would vouch for me, Lord willing. I believe that I wouldn't have, we normally do, stay in hotels out of convenience, but I wouldn't have to. <laughs> I have houses all over America that within two or three phone calls, I would have their guest bed. <laughs> and I have brothers and sisters on the other side of the world because of the kingdom. And I could go on and on and on, right? Fathers in Israel, mothers in Israel. But let's also not forget, you give up some things, you give some things, but you get a bonus. In verse 30, you get a bonus. And what's that bonus? With persecutions. With persecutions. But it's okay. It's okay. Why? Because that is a blessed privilege of being a child of God that is in evidence, not because you choose to do this, but your discipleship is an evidence that you already are, and in the world to come eternal life, you don't gain eternal life by giving up those things. Only those who give up those things are the only ones who are inheritors, heirs of eternal life, right? But don't miss the fact <laughs> that you're gonna receive so many spiritual blessings in the kingdom, but Previously, you didn't have persecutions, but now you will. Now you will. Why? Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus will have persecution to some degree. To some degree. And now we'd like to close.
with the account of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Now, as I said before, the greater intensity of the suffering, the greater the intensity and the intimacy of the fellowship that we have with Jesus. Well, you know what that tells me? And I believe that the Laodiceans are a perfect example. If you're totally comfortable, if you're totally comfortable and you're not suffering to some degree, you don't have as much fellowship with Jesus as you should have, right? I mean, that's where the Laodiceans were at. They weren't suffering. (laughs) And then the worst thing is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with with the Lord blessing you with with money or prosperity. The, The bad part is when you start coveting after it but then when you get prideful I mean what what did they say we we are rich we and I I believe let me see if I can get this right what brother Tim said yesterday when you say that you have need of nothing at that point you've become good for nothing now when you are looking at yourself in the mirror and not saying amazing grace that saved a wretch like me You're in the right perspective when you look in the mirror and you say that. But when you look in the mirror and say, we're rich. When you look in the mirror and say, we have need of nothing. Is it any surprise that Jesus says, I am not going to give you the fullness of fellowship with me when you've reached that point of pride? Because what does God hate? What's the first thing in the book of Proverbs that God hates? I always forget if it's a proud look or a proud heart, but it's pride. (laughs) It's pride. What's in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those Laodiceans, yes, they were lukewarm, but they were prideful. They were prideful. They looked in the mirror and said, not only, similar to Nebuchadnezzar, not only do we have everything we need, but we're the reason that we have everything we need. (laughs) Yes, I'm rich, not Praise God for giving me these, these riches I made. Let me tell you about the business decision that I made. Let me tell you about the, the uh, good financial decisions that I made. And, and then, like Nebuchadnezzar, look at this great Babylon that I have built, right? You always get in trouble when you start hitting the, as many preachers have said, you start hitting the I button on your keyboard. Uh, you're going to get in trouble <laughs> when, you start, when you start hitting the I button too much. But they were so prideful. And it's no surprise that they were not in fellowship with Jesus. Because those Laodiceans were not suffering at all. (laughs) They weren't. They were not suffering at all. And he didn't necessarily expound on this um, when he said you need to repent. But the implication is you're going to have to give up some of this prosperity by repenting and yes, you're going to sup with me, but that supping with me comes with persecution. That supping with me comes with suffering, okay? Stephen, and we're just going to skip here to the end. I, mean, I think y'all know the story well. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is ordained as a deacon, but it seems that he had a little bit stronger calling than just simply being a deacon. And he's standing up for the truth of God's word there in the temple and with the Sanhedrin. And he preaches just a phenomenal sermon about, it's almost like a a summary of all the Old Testament history um, of the nation of Israel. Just a phenomenal sermon that obviously was capstoned by saying that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And... And I know you've, y'all have heard this distinction very much. You know, the Acts, Acts chapter 2, those devout men were pricked in the heart. These men were cut to the heart. And they, they were unregenerate men that weren't born again. And they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So they began to stone him. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And he being, I want you to think about this fellowship with Jesus in the midst of suffering. All right? And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven 
and saw the glory. Of, that's what we want, don't we? I mean, we want to see the glory of God. Think about uh, Isaiah, uh, uh, or Uzziah, um, Isaiah, after Uzziah died in Isaiah chapter 6. There we go. That uh, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? He saw the glory of God fill the temple. His train filled the temple. I mean, that's what we want to see, right? And he saw the glory of God in this special way, but there was a prerequisite. That's what I want you to understand. There is a prerequisite to this kind of fellowship with Jesus and its suffering, the fellowship of his sufferings. Being, uh, being full of the Holy Ghost and lifted up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, and boy, you want to talk about it. They didn't like him before. <laughs> they were already wanting to kill him, kill him before. But then he says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of God standing on the right hand of God. And boy, if they didn't like it then, then they cried out with a loud voice and it's just amazing. You read some of these. I mean, clearly, if they're cut to the heart, these are unregenerates. But they are just so, they have such vitriol toward this godly, righteous man that they just get, they just get madder. I mean, they're already mad and they're trying to kill him, but they get even madder. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran on him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, by the way. Don't you know, you want to talk about him pressing into the kingdom? I just think he had, I think he had, he had flashbacks. I think he woke up in the middle of the night sweating because he saw Stephen having the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now that's what now he's given up. He's given his, up his life for, right? He's given up his life, for the, his life for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because he sees Stephen experiencing that and I consented to his death. So they laid their, their clothes at the, at the feet of a man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen and calling upon him. And then he said, he kind of, he did exactly what Jesus did, actually. He said, Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, I'm sure the physical, you know, his, his heart pumping and, I mean, the physical attributes that, that he was nearing the point of death, but he did exactly what Jesus did, and he said, Lord, receive my spirit, right? And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, and then you want to talk about, again, being like Jesus, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And you want to talk about... <laughs> You're going to have to have fellowship with Jesus. You're going to have to have a special knowledge and fellowship with Jesus if you're going to say when people are killing you, Lord, lay not this in it. Because I know my flesh, you know. My flesh, if you're killing me, I mean, I'm happy to go to heaven. I'm happy for you to take my life and go to heaven. But I just can't see myself in my natural flesh being this gracious when I'm dying. But guess what? I also didn't see Jesus Christ standing on the, on the right hand of God. I mean, I think if I saw Jesus, I sure would hope I'd say, Lord, it don't matter. It don't matter what they're doing to me. Lord, and who knows? Who knows um, who else was there? Obviously, we know, I think that statement, like I said, Saul waking up in a cold sweat. I think also that he did remember, though, Stephen saying, Lord, lay not this into their charge. You know, I think that's part. Of, I think there may have been other people there. I mean, who knows? There may have been other children of God that were not yet born again in that moment, like Saul, who were consenting to that. There may be more than one, more, maybe more than Saul. But I think part of the reason why the Lord blessed Stephen to say that was for Saul's benefit. That he could have a little bit more of an ease of conscience when he did feel that, that pain from knowing that he, consented, that he consented to the death of Stephen, okay? But the thought that I want to leave you with is that I do, I do not know how close we are to the Lord's second coming. I, I don't. I mean, we need, we need to live every moment hoping and praying that it's near, but from my understanding of Scripture, there are some significant benchmarks in Scripture that, to my understanding, have not yet occurred that will need to occur for God's Word to be upheld. And I don't know how close we're getting to that, but I, but I do think that we are past the point 
of the global ingathering of the church. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that individually, we heard some messages on that yesterday, right? Individually, we can have revival. Individually, at Macedonian Church and other churches, we can have revival. However, I believe, I don't know, again, I don't know how close we're getting to the Lord's second coming, but you just can't look at the church and reach any other conclusion than it's reaching the point where there's a fading away. But you know what? That is an evidence of our nearing the Lord's second coming. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. Don't be shaken in mind or troubled in spirit, neither by spirit nor word or a letter. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. And then an association with that is the man of sin is going to be revealed. And and I don't believe that the man of sin has been revealed. I think it's going to be very evident when somebody stands up and says, you worship me above God or everything that is called God. That's exactly what it says there in Thessalonians chapter 2. I don't believe that that's happened yet. And I believe for from the teaching of Scripture, that is a significant benchmark that will occur before the Lord's second coming. But another benchmark of that is there's a falling away. There's a falling away. And Paul also says that evil men and seducers, they're going to wax worse and worse. Okay? That is the trajectory that we are on. Now, that doesn't mean that, that God can't significantly, by the power of His Holy Ghost, send revival in individual areas. But I believe it's also astute that as a whole, particularly the church in America, is following the Laodicean pattern. And I believe that's accurate. We are following the Laodicean pattern. We are falling away. The Lord can bless us in the midst of that. However, I want you to understand that that is an inverse relationship. <laughs> okay, so from our perspective, there's a falling away. From our perspective, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. But as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, as all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, as it goes in that direction, there is a greater opportunity for intimate close fellowship with Jesus Christ in the midst of that suffering, okay? And that's what we need to keep in mind because when things start, I mean, we were only, again, this is just my personal opinion, I think during COVID, Satan was testing the waters. I, I, think, I think he was putting some feelers out about what can I get away with in regards to taking away religious liberty. I think he was putting some feelers out. And I think he got a pretty good return on that. Uh, I'm thankful that some of that got stopped, but I think, I think he was testing the waters. Okay? But understand, there will only be, at least in my opinion, there will only be more attacks by Satan on religious liberty as we continue on. Okay? Things are not going to get easier. They're not going to get easier. They're going to get more difficult. But... The message there is don't be discouraged. I mean, just like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Not Sermon on the Mount, but all of that discourse. And he's talking about the second coming of, of the Lord. He's saying, look, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars. You're going to have all of these very unique things that are happening in, in the heavens and in the earth. You're going to have a lot of these, these really things that's going to make everybody nervous. And it actually says in that context, men's hearts failing them for fear. There's going to be a lot of people dropping dead, of, in my opinion, of literal heart attacks. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's all spiritual. I think there's going to be a lot of people with high blood pressure and people that are dropping dead from heart attacks when they start seeing some things that are happening. But what is the, what is the child of God's response to that, though? Lift up your eyes. Why? Because your redemption draws nigh, right? You see that? how this world is going to pot. But our perspective is not being all concerned about how horrible everything's going around us. We're saying, man, Jesus is getting so close. Jesus is getting so close to coming back. And our perspective, the more we have to suffer for Christ's sake, our perspective should be the same. 
wow, what a great blessing and opportunity for us to have a closer fellowship with Jesus. Because there's just not, the Laodiceans are just such a great example. There's not any fellowship with Jesus when you're prideful and comfortable and at ease. Y'all know the Old Testament uh, verse, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. You see, if we're at ease and we're comfortable, we are not having the closeness of fellowship with Jesus that he intends for us. But don't be discouraged when hard times come. Don't be discouraged when suffering comes because that's a greater opportunity to fellowship with Jesus and have a greater knowledge of Jesus. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.